This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of 91. The value of investments can fall as well as rise and losses may be made. In South Africa, 91 is an authorised financial services provider. I received a piece of work a couple of days ago which was headlined as follows. Will growth assets continue to grind higher? By Philip Saunders, co-head of global multi-asset growth at 91 in London. And I would say to you, Philip, first of all, they haven't been grinding higher, but they've been surging higher in many cases. Well, I think that they did obviously uh, surge. We saw a sort of very uh, sort of V-shaped um, um, rebound in markets, very strong. We, you know, initially it was basically just simply a uh, meant to, it was dismissed as a, a rally in a bear market, uh, and then it sort of continued. Uh, I think more recently it has been more of a grind. Obviously, not it hasn't been the case with gold, for example, which basically has clearly enjoyed a, sur- a surge. So I think that we've we've seen a very strong rebound. Uh, and, and now I think what we're seeing is sort of markets are continuing to move up, um, but uh, in a less dynamic fashion. Obviously, some individual securities have been more dynamic than that uh, against the background of continuing negative news about COVID. But as a backdrop to that, there has been a completely different reaction by the growth asset markets that uh, we're speaking about. And because you do say... Here, the market environment in 2020 has been truly extraordinary. And in other words, when you look back at March the 23rd, when the market was at its low and everyone was predicting doom and gloom for the next couple of years, suddenly it's resurged and has been resurgent in the fact that it's maybe 2 or 3% away from all-time record highs. Quite extraordinary. Yes, and absolutely, I agree that it's quite extraordinary. Um, and we've... You know, we will potentially have had one of the uh, shortest recessions in history and one of the shortest bear markets in history. Um, uh, you know, that's quite something. And we're still only uh, um, we're still only seven months in. Your second point says the following. Our central scenario remains constructive, but many risks remain. We should see a broadening of the recovery in equity markets with stock markets outside the US and China doing better. So what you're saying is that everything's fine at the moment, but you should be cautious and you should have a sort of a rifle shot geographical approach, if you like. Yeah, I, I think what's happened uh, in the initial phase of the rec- of the rebound in markets, you know, we've seen obviously... Uh, U.S. equities doing doing very well, but really particularly growth stocks within that market. And actually, value stocks have, have, have continued to struggle. Um, and uh, U.S. equity performance, even though other markets have rebounded, the rebounds have not been as dramatic, with the exception of China, of course, where mm-hmm. uh, obviously the the recovery started um, start, started earlier. Uh, what we envisage is that as uh, uh, market participants become more confident uh, that the um, social distancing will begin to normal on a more sort of evident basis, uh, you know, into, ne- into next year, uh, then there should be greater confidence uh, uh, that there will be uh, a broadening of the cyclical recovery, uh, which, of course, will benefit. They'll be catching up uh, uh, of certain cyclical sectors that have lagged. Um, and of uh, in international markets sort of lagged the leading markets being the US and China, obviously. The price of money is always a focus, but uh, particularly 
um, focused in the last six months or so. Uh, you say US rates are going to be kept low well into an eventual recovery. I can't even imagine a world where interest rates will rise in the United States because it's been, what has it been, a dozen years now since interest rates have been virtually nothing or rather been on the decline? Yes, I mean, uh, no, no one's saying that this is a, a normal or a particularly satisfactory environment. Um, uh, and, you know, in order to actually sort of preserve uh, or sustain growth and sustain uh, at least the illusion of normality in markets, um, it's required extraordinary actions on the part of central banks and now governments. Uh, so this time around, we've seen obviously massive, uh, a massive monetary response um, initially by the Fed and by other central banks. Uh, and, you know, that's been combined with uh, um, a truly massive fiscal response, you know, not only to actually sort of furlough workers and so forth to sort of get, sort of keep things ticking over uh, while the disease is, uh, the pandemic is brought under some kind of control, uh, but also to actually... Uh, uh, underpin growth um, uh, out into the future, you know, which means yet more government borrowing in order to actually uh, um, gen gen generate that growth. Uh, so uh, it's unsurprising, you know, with M2 in the US sort of growing at something like 25% uh, a year, uh, that, uh, um, you know, that asset prices have inflated. You know, that's exactly what happens when you when you print a lot of money. Um, but it looks as if you know we have seen uh, an underlying turnaround in economic activity um, as lockdowns are gradually sort of relaxed, um, and um, and in a way, basically, that's underpinned this uh, very dramatic rally uh, in markets. So it's a combination of factors. It's uh, real economies uh, beginning to rebound, uh, combined with massive um, government intervention. Okay, we've spoken about interest rates. U.S. rates are going to be kept low well into an eventual recovery, which is what I just said. But the U.S. dollar is obviously inextricably linked to interest rates. And you say the dollar should continue its decline, improving risk appetite internationally. The dollar's decline has been quite dramatic. You've talked to, you've said the word massive three times since we've been speaking. And this has been a massive move on the euro dollar exchange rate, for example, or the dollar index or the Dixie, as people call it. The euro dollar has gone from 106 to let's call it 118 and a half and that despite it doesn't sound like a lot is incredibly impactful for the the world economy what do you think the u.s dollar's weakness will do for the global economy and for asset classes well well normally uh, during periods of um, of dollar weakness you know it means that capital gets allocated internationally rather than being sucked into the u.s um, and so therefore it's generally uh, um, uh, it's, it's generally pretty supportive for global liquidity. Um, uh, so, for example, if you take a country like South Africa, uh, if the dollar was strengthening at the moment, that would make life uh, incredibly tough, uh, I, in order to actually get the inter international financing that that country uh, current, currently requires. Um, so, so it creates a more benign uh, environment internationally for growth. Um, uh, but you know, it's not guaranteed that the dollar is going to be weak. We think it is going to be weak because um, the dollar was a crowded trade. You know, people were unbelievably negative about um, the euro, for example, excessively so. Uh, and that started to correct. Um, and so therefore, this retreat into the dollar and dollar assets basically has been very pronounced. That's beginning to relax. And if the Fed is uh, successful in its policy of driving down 
uh, real long-term interest rates uh, in the U.S., um, then uh, uh, then that makes the dollar less attractive internationally, um, and um, and so therefore that it should soften. Uh, but that basically potentially is good news for ex-U.S. Uh, um, uh, ex-U.S. assets. You conclude in your closing statements the following. The market environment in 2020 has been truly extraordinary. Coming into the year, markets were responding positively to a global turn-up in manufacturing following over two years of weakness. This was aborted by the spread of COVID-19, a black swan event, which, unlike its predecessor, SARS, rapidly evolved into a global pandemic, which will, in my opinion, go on for a couple of years, but that's for another story. We saw markets plunge into bear market territory in record time and briefly become illiquid. Therefore, thereafter rather, equity and other growth assets staged a V-shaped recovery that few market participants believed could be possible. That's all history, Philip. Now what we've got to say is what is the next phase? Because as the next phase of the virus itself goes into something completely different, which we can't predict, maybe the markets and the economies will do as well. I mean, it's morbidly fascinating. Yes. So, I mean, as far as COVID is concerned, um, you know, the idea that you can just completely stop it um, is is completely naive, of course. Um, but treatment can be better, get better. Treatment has become a lot better. Uh, I think that treatment has improved, as you can see in the US at the moment, the death rate, despite the spike, the recent spike there, uh, the death rate basically uh, has continued to sort of come down. Um, so, uh, unless... Uh, the uh, COVID-19 sort of mutates significantly and that sort of means that uh, treatments have to change and the vaccine is no longer sort of possible. I think that uh, by and large, despite the current narrative, which is all about uh, second waves and third waves and so forth, if you look at the underlying data, uh, it shows that things are progressively getting a bit better. And if that continues into next year, okay, um, there is a clearly a risk case, which you know says that it doesn't. It becomes sort of unmanageable again. Uh, but if it does, uh, that's um, you know then that's reasonably constructive for markets, given the degree of policy support they've received. Philip Saunders, thank you very much for your time. That's Philip Saunders, co-head of Global Multi Asset Growth at 91 in London.